This episode of The Significant Others was recorded across multiple lands. We recognise and acknowledge that all of Australia is Aboriginal land and we pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. I think it's really important not to undermine how powerful a good experience is for a woman and, and then I had a great experience and it gave me so much strength you know when you have a hard day as a mum you can draw back on that time and go no I'm strong I can deal with whatever the world throws at me because I did that and I think that that should really be celebrated and emphasised on how important it is to give people that because every woman deserves to feel like that. Our guest this week is the delightful Courtney Darling, a kick-ass physiotherapist who has found herself following a passion for women's health and starting a business to fill a gap in postnatal care needs. It comes after having two sons of her own with husband Jack Darling. Courtney talks us through her birth stories and how it has led her to advocate for the children's charity Helping Little Hands. We advise there is a content warning for this podcast as it discusses birth and PTSD. We acknowledge that this may be difficult listening for some people. So Courtney, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real pleasure to get to talk to you and we're really grateful that you were able to make the time. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I think this is a really cool platform. So it's my my privilege. Well, maybe you could start by giving us a little bit of the start of the story. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up. So I grew up in a mining town called Kalgoorlie and it's like 600 kilometres inland from Perth. I was there from birth until I moved to Perth when I was 18 to go to uni and I had such an epic childhood. It was really, really cool. I'm one of five kids. My mum and dad so awesome. They um, are really happily married. They're a great team, which would be frustrating when you're a teenager and you want one parent to pick your side and they don't. (laughs) And then I grew up with my four brothers, which I just loved. Like I always had friends to play with and would like wrestle on the trampoline out the back and yeah it was awesome all my cousins and my um, aunties and uncles and uh, nana and granddad were all walking distance from our house so I really felt like they all had a critical part in raising me and yeah Kalgoorlie is like everybody knows everybody so mum would always say to me think about what you're going to do because I'll know what you've done before you've even done it (laughs) (laughs) she's so funny there was this one time like it was a few months before I turned 18 I wasn't allowed to go out to pubs obviously and I went into a pub for about five minutes and I had to leave because the guilt just killed me I'm like mum's gonna find out in the morning I had to go home (laughs) yeah but it was really cool I felt really safe I got to do a lot of sport and Mum and Dad must have spent their whole weekends running around driving us to all our sport, but they made it work and it was awesome. That's a lovely way to grow up with so much family around. It's so good. A very noisy house. It was wonderful. <laughs> and tell us about moving away from there. What what drew you away? I had a gap year between school and uni and I crazily did like a Cert 3 in fitness that year. I should have just worked and saved and had fun, but I still studied. And then... I moved to Perth and I was doing a Bachelor of Exercise and Sports Science. So I had the intention of doing that for three years and then doing a dip ed for, it was a year at the time, and becoming a high school sport teacher. And then about halfway through that, I just started to develop a real passion for anatomy, biomechanics, rehabilitation. And it's quite addictive when you are looking after a person and you 
help them improve and be able to do whatever it is that they cannot. And I found that really fulfilling. I was like, oh, I don't want to be a sport teacher anymore. I want to be a physio. So to do that, I needed a distinction average. And so I worked pretty hard for the next 18 months to get those grades so then I could get into physio. So I went back for another four years. So that was seven years in total. Wow. Well, it sounds like you love to study. (laughs) And now I'm back there again. (laughs) Tell us what you're doing now. So now I'm doing my master's in pelvic health and continence. So I'm still a physio, but I will just have that further qualification when caring for women with women's health issues, really. How and why did you get into that? I feel like the more I learn, the more I realise I don't know and I constantly have this drive, like I want to answer these questions. It was actually quite ironic, I suppose. So when I was in my third year of my physio degree, we had a a gender health unit and we did our practical exam and the patient was a woman who just had a baby. And I remember my lecturer saying to me after the exam, he said, this is what you were born to do. You need to do this. And I just remember thinking, no, I'm good. I'm going to be a sports physio. I have no interest in pelvic floors or breastfeeding or anything like that. And then when I graduated, I ended up working in private practice. And you see a whole range of different conditions in there. And I looked after a lot of pregnant women and after they had their children, and I just gravitated to that and really fell in love with women's health. And I think you see that you can have such a huge effect on a person's life and you know, women suffering from, you know, pelvic floor issues or breastfeeding issues or pelvic girdle pain and things during pregnancy, it really, really affects your quality of life. And when you kick those goals and help somebody be able to live their life the way they want to, that is so fulfilling. And you have a real passion for birth, don't you? Yes. (laughs) I think as you get closer to that time in your life yourself, but I really started to become a bit of a birth nerd when I was working in private practice. I might've been, you know, 25, 26. And then we got married and actually conceived our first son, Max, on our wedding weekend. (laughs) And so that was a whole new journey for me. (laughs) And yeah, that passion has just grown. And I've had two very different births. We now have two sons. And I just want to be able to support women through that huge life transition. If you feel comfortable, could you tell us a little bit about your births? Yeah. So Max... Max's pregnancy was everything I thought it wouldn't be. I found out I was pregnant a few weeks into our honeymoon. I had a dream that um, I was pregnant. I woke up at 5.30 or 6.30, which is a sleeping now, but it was early when <laughs> you don't have kids. <laughs> and um, I did a pregnancy test because I just took one on a honeymooning case and it was positive. I just could not believe it. I was so, so happy. And then like, oh, my God, what have I done? I actually can't take this back, <laughs> you know. Feel both feelings, but yeah, we're super excited. Came home from our honeymoon, and I basically started feeling really sick straight away. Like five weeks in, like profusely vomiting. Oh my goodness, it's it's so challenging. And I remember like just being sick in the toilet bowl about seven weeks, thinking I've only got five weeks left to go of this, and it just went the whole way through. Like I would take sandwich bags to work, and in the 12 minute drive from our house to the clinic I was working in, I was sick in the car like three times. (laughs) And then everything was tracking normally aside from the morning sickness until about 26 weeks. And I started having contractions that I didn't realize they were contractions. I thought that's what Braxton Hicks were because I had nothing to compare them to. And by 30 weeks, I could time them. So they were becoming like four to nine minutes apart. 
and then, you know, I'd have that episode for maybe a couple hours, but then I could continue doing my thing. And it got to the point that I was 30 weeks, I went to the hospital after going to work and teaching a Pilates class, which was ridiculous. I should have just gone. <laughs> and I had a gorgeous midwife and she she did all her usual checks and she said, like, look, I, I think everything's fine, but I just want to take you, you know, up to the maternal assessment unit and just double check you're not going into preterm labour. And they do a swab that can sort of predict your likelihood of having your baby in the next 14 days. And it looks for placental proteins in the vagina. So they're obviously not supposed to be there. That came back positive and it was a really high positive result. I think they were assuming I was going to go into labour like that day or the next day. So I was admitted into the hospital, put on bed rest, given the steroid injections to help mature Max's lungs because he was only 30 weeks. They wouldn't have been able to inflate like a full-term baby's lungs can. Yeah, I was sharing a room with four other women for a week, which was really an experience. I obviously didn't have him that week and I went home and it's really hard. This is the during the home and away season as well. So West Coast, they travel every two weeks and I didn't really know if Jack should put his career on hold for eight weeks, which is a huge ask, or if I should you know, let him travel. Or It was really hard to try and make that decision. He was able to travel just one night before the game when I was 31 weeks and he did that and came back and everything was fine and then he had a home game so that was fine and then 33 weeks they'd lost a few games and he'd asked or his forward line coach had asked the people higher up if he could travel one night before the game and that was unfortunately denied that request at the time so he ended up flying to the Gold Coast and that was the day I went into labour. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That must have been so stressful, especially for your first pregnancy. Uh, I, yeah, it was um, definitely not what you imagine when you see that positive pregnancy test. No. It was a really hard decision. So that morning I felt really good, which I now know is a sign of me going into labour because I seem to have <laughs> a great sleep. <laughs> My mum was there in Perth looking after me as well. And I was like, mum, go back to Kalgoorlie. Things are fine. I feel great. I said to him, I'll just go to the hospital, make sure everything's okay. And he spoke to my midwife over the phone and said, look, we think it's just the same thing as last time. She's not showing any signs of going into to labour. My cervix was long and closed. Not that that's a predictor, but nothing was really happening. They said, look, get on the plane and I'm sure it's going to be fine. And I told him to as well, which is a decision I really regret. I thought it was okay too, but I didn't know what labour was you know you read about it but I'd never been through it of course you didn't know I ended up in the same hospital bed too in the same room with four other women <laughs> three other women so why am I here again but a midwife who actually looked after me when I was in hospital with Max came into our cubicle and she'd seen me before and she's like how are you doing I was like oh my pain's like seven out of ten she's like okay let's just have a little I'll monitor you for a bit because usually I'd be like, oh, one out of ten, everything's fine. I obviously rung my mum. Mum came to the hospital and I rung Jack and told him and he was frantically trying to pack a bag at 2.30 in the morning on the Gold Coast. He's like, I'll get back, I'll make it. I said, you can't, there's no time. And, yeah, he obviously didn't make it. That must have been really hard for both of you. Oh, it was so hard. Max ended up being a caesarean. He was breech and I just felt like... I felt pressured into the decision. I felt like maybe the hospital weren't equipped to deal with a breech baby at, you know, one o'clock in the morning on a long weekend. It was a really hard decision to make. My labour was progressing really well and it was very, very fast and there was 
I think it's quite normal for preterm labour to not have any breaks. Like the contractions were just boom, boom, boom. So I dilated to five centimetres in literally like an hour. Max was born in, well, Jack was in the taxi on the way to Brisbane Airport. Wow. Yeah. So then we were on the phone for a bit. It was awful. Like, yeah, he was going to be on an 8.30 flight, which was still like so late. And I was just quite numb. And I just said to him, can you just stay there and play the game? Because I feel like if you come back, then it was really for nothing. Mm. In hindsight, I wouldn't have said that. I'd say get on the plane and come back now. (laughs) But I was just so numb. And I can't imagine, you know, Mm. there just must have been so much going through your head. It must have been really hard to put it together into words at all. Yeah, it was really hard. And like at that stage, I hadn't actually, I'd seen Max for a moment, but he, he didn't come out well. And so he got taken to the ICU right away. So at that point, when I was on the phone to Jack, I I was completely alone in a hospital room as well. I remember just looking at this beige wall. <laughs> I've never felt so like out of my body and alone in my life. Yeah, it was really traumatic. That's not what you imagine. That's not what you want to experience. Like those first few moments, hours, days after having your first, I feel really, I feel really just sad for you, Courtney, hearing that. It's, it was awful. It's crappy and, it, and that's, I guess that's one of those things I think that we can um, empathise with that football takes that moment sometimes from you and that is just the reality of the job, I guess. And I know that Jack got criticised a lot in the media after that for not being there when obviously it came to light that we'd had Max. But it's, how did we know he was going to come seven weeks early and how long are you supposed to wait like these babies don't wait for your schedule (laughs) no and I will never have a baby between March and October ever again (laughs) (laughs) so true what you say Marty I think the media does often talk about players missing games or hubs or finals because of childbirth but it's not normally spoken about with that sort of human understanding that I think you're really providing Courtney that there is actually so much more going on than just oh will he or won't he fly yeah definitely and everyone's got their own story and we never really know what's going on in someone's pregnancy you know we don't all publicize what's happening in our homes so very true but you had another opportunity another birth story and that was different (laughs) yes yeah so I really struggled after I had Max um And it wasn't until three months and a friend said to me, I think you need to go speak to somebody. I think you have post-traumatic stress. And I was like, oh, yeah, I I totally do. So I went and saw a psychologist. I had a medical debrief with the hospital and they just broke down sort of the series of events. Saw a maternal fetal specialist who helps kind of break down why I had a premature baby. Even tried hypnosis. I was like ready to give anything a crack. And... um. We were at the intention was to have another baby maybe when Max was one, like full pregnant. <laughs> but after Max was born, like I something really clicked with, with Jack and I think it was just him not caring about what people thought as much as well. He was starting to play a lot more consistently in the type of football that he wanted to play. So he was having a re- like a really great start to the season in 2018 and the vibe was really good at home. <laughs> Yeah, then I was pregnant (laughs) and so that was our second journey and this time we did it very differently. I decided to get an independent midwife instead. I had all my care through her. What she provided to me is actually what's inspired me with the work that I do now. So she would do, she would go to all the important appointments at the hospital through the premature prevention clinic and they would 
just kind of they look at your cervix length and things like that to see if you're likely to go early again and things they can do to prevent that but then all the other antenatal care was within our home and so she was available to me 24-7. I could text, call. She'd come and sit with me for two hours if I needed to have a really good cry or anything we needed to, to discuss. And she really knew my birth history and what I wanted this time. Yeah, so I went through an independent midwife and got to 37 weeks and thought, oh, well, I'm going to go into labour right now. And then that didn't happen. I held on to four days before my due date and went into labour at home. It was awesome. So quick, three hours. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing. It was so empowering. <laughs> it was literally like I wake up in the morning, it's like, we're having a baby today. And Jack's like, are you in labour? I was like, no, but it's going to happen. I can tell it's happening. <laughs> it was amazing. Oh, it's like wow. auto Uber Eats. I'm not making breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Max was only 19 months then. Yeah, so I breastfed him and had a shower and stuff. And then he called the midwife. And then when they came here, my like, water's literally just exploded on our bedroom floor in a movie yeah we had an amazing birth so uh, leo was born at just after 2 p.m and then we were home to put max to bed at 7 p.m wow <laughs> i couldn't wait to get out of there i'm not a hospital person i just <laughs> like can i leave now it's about 5 30 so you've started studying after having both of your children mm-hmm. more around women's health yeah i guess what was it that would have made your experience uh, from having max an easier one I think with Max, even though I hadn't done my master's, I'd still done a lot of women's health courses. So I did still feel like I knew a lot about the process, but I think I just didn't really know about the system, as in the hospital system, the policies, the way that information gets put in front of you, because whether or not people mean to, they do have a bias and they have something they'd prefer you to do intentionally or not so I do think if I was still put in the same situation you know Courtney 27 never had a baby I probably still would have made the same decisions that I had at that time but if I was in that situation now Courtney with already two kids I would make a different decision Mm, and I suppose Courtney with one kid did make a different decision and you know having that midwife made such a difference to you didn't it Yeah, she was amazing. And she just backed me in. So she'd give me the risks and the benefits of every intervention. And then she'd say, it is your choice. And that's really empowering, but it's also really important because that's really what informed consent is. So I always felt like I was in the driver's seat and that she was actually working for me to give me what I needed rather than me having to do what she wanted to please her. Your birth stories have influenced the direction of your career and your study, but they've also influenced volunteer things that you've done outside of that as well. So can you tell us a little bit about Helping Little Hands? There's a prematurity day every year and we went after we had Max. Max, he was about three or four months old. I ran into Joanne from Helping Little Hands and I found a lot of comfort in speaking to her when people don't obviously mean to upset you. But after we had Max, I felt like nobody really understood the way that Jack and I were feeling. And a lot of people would say, at least you're both healthy. And it would often feel like, well, alive doesn't mean you're healthy. Yeah. And I like physically when Max was born, he wasn't healthy. And emotionally, I was not healthy. So I found a lot of comfort and healing from jumping in with helping little hands as well. So what 
Helping Little Hands does is support families with uh, sick or premature babies in the ICU. So whether it's practical support like you know meals or food when you're actually in the hospital or fuel vouchers, especially because you have some people that are driving really far every single day. Mm. If you're, you know, somebody down in Mandra or even Bunbury, an hour, an hour and a half from Perth, really taxing if you're in there for three months. We refurbished the parents' lounge last year, which was really cool. So, and we're frantically fundraising at the moment to get a live streaming system in the, the NICU. So each baby will have a camera and their families will be able to tune in from home and see their baby when they can't physically be by their bedside. You know, you say that you got a lot out of it, but I also feel like you're giving a lot back and it's such a caring and wonderful thing that you're doing. Is there anything that we can help or anyone who's listening can do to help with the fundraising that you're doing at the moment? Yes, definitely. So they can jump on the Helping Little Hands website and make a donation or you can get in contact with the charity and we always need help we always need volunteers so if there's any way that you can support or provide a service that you think might be beneficial then we're all for it I found the second birth with Flick kind of healing because I knew what was kind of happening and what to expect like I felt I had so much more control or I just had better understanding of the decisions I was making and things like that that I felt more empowered. Did you feel like that for your second time around too with Leo? I did a lot of reading in between and spoke to a lot of different people and the more I talked about what I went through, the more I realised that I lost my voice. I think I was concerned, even with telling Jack to get on the plane, like, what was that? Do not get on the plane. You come back now. (laughs) And I don't know, I just wanted to be pleasant perhaps. When I was pregnant with Leo, I just realised that I can say no and this is my body and no matter what happens, nobody is going to feel the effects of this pregnancy and birth as much as I am because I was in so much emotional pain after having Max that I just I could not go through that again I was terrified of feeling that way so I felt really strong and I felt like I had a voice and I'll never forget when I first went to the hospital I actually didn't know where I was going to birth Leo I was open to either if he had I had him at home I was open to that and I was open to also going to the hospital um but on the day, I just chose to go to the hospital and I was fine with that decision. I remember when I got there, the obstetricians that were on the ward at the time, they'd come in and introduce themselves, which I knew they would do, and they asked to check my dilation. I just said, no, thank you. And they just, I remember them like standing there completely stumped and then they'd like turn to Jack, like they wanted him to override me or something. And they're like, well, <laughs> we would like to check her dilation every three hours. And um, Jack said to them, so proud of him, he's like, we'll discuss it in three hours. And I'd already had him by three hours, so it was fine. I didn't have to have my dilation <laughs> checked by those obstetricians. Yeah, that kind of thing. I wrote a really detailed plan, like thing, just simple things like, you know, dim lights, no students. Just I wanted to have as much control of the people that were around me and the environment I was in. Even though birth is out of control, I wanted to be able to control those things. Courtney, you mentioned to us earlier that when – Jack left for the hospital that he was perhaps spotted and Max's birth was leaked before you announced it. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So we didn't actually know about this because we were so consumed with what was going on. We had no idea what was going on in social media or on the news or anything and it was actually Jack's manager, Colin, who called Jack and he obviously knew what had happened. 
and he was telling us as well that he was receiving calls from people within the media asking if we'd had our baby and Colin had said basically I haven't heard anything everything's fine but he said to us if it is something that you want to announce and you want it to come from you then you're basically going to have to do it now because it had started it had been on the radio but then we shared a post on social media and then 20 minutes later it was honestly on the news that night so if we didn't do that it would have been on the news anyway. And how did that feel? I felt incredibly pressured. I felt very protective of Max and our situation and I um, wasn't ready to share that with the world. I also I was very angry because you know obviously it had been heard that Max had arrived, but nobody actually knew, you know, if he was okay. So to leak information when potentially we might have had a very sick baby, I found that really insensitive. Yeah, it was really challenging. Connie, that must have really contributed to that feeling of loss of control that you experienced. Yeah, definitely. I think so. And, you know, it's hard enough being in that situation and then Mm. having to deal with another side of things. I sort of feeling like you have to answer to somebody in a way. It's not somebody, it's Mm. a body I guess. It was really really hard and I was definitely felt like my hand was forced. You are listening to the Significant Others podcast. Let's move forward to talking a little bit about maybe Jack and what comes with that. So you have given us a bit of a spoiler here and told us that you have a funny meet cute. So would you like to fill us in on that? Oh it's so funny. I love this story. (laughs) (laughs) Yes please let's go. We met in 2012 and at that point I was actually physioing for a rugby union club so I wasn't following the AFL which was a blessing in sight because I wouldn't have spoken to him (laughs) but I'd just come out of a big relationship and I said to my best friend that day I really just want to break from men I am never going to be (laughs) with a, a guy that plays footy again just you know that guy mentality that seems to come with it I didn't want a bar of it and I (laughs) I went out with some girlfriends and I saw Jack and he was heavily intoxicated <laughs> and <laughs> the girls like were going to the toilet and I walked past him and I was like, oh, I, you know, he's, he's a babe, he's my cup of tea and um, I walked up to him and we just made eye contact and I was like, do you need a physio? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> I wasn't a physio, I was a second year physio student. I did not know anything, but I, I plugged it and it, it worked. Yeah, so we spent the night chatting and it was actually super embarrassing because he actually never told me what he did for a living. And I said to him, you know, what did you do today? It was a Saturday night. He's like, oh, I played footy. I was like, oh, what else do you do? He's like, oh, nothing. I was like, do you not have a job? <laughs> it was so embarrassing. Yeah, we, um, we hit it off though and... I left with my girlfriends and he actually texted me when I was in the taxi. He was like, oh, Jack here looking for a physio. (laughs) And I actually Googled him in the taxi with my best friend and then found out what he did and I was so embarrassed. And then I also saw his age. So I'm actually a cougar. (laughs) I'm three years (laughs) older than him and once I saw his age, I was just like, nah, you're my brother's age. I do not want to invest in this. And so, yeah, we... We didn't talk for a little bit for like three weeks and then we somehow started texting again and, yeah, the rest is history. There you go. That's a pretty good pickup line. I'm impressed. It just came naturally as well. I never do things like that. (laughs) I do not know what came over me. He was just standing there with his dark hair and his beard and he was 
I was just like, oh, green eyes. I just <laughs> went for it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds all right. <laughs> It was really funny. Can you tell us a little bit about how football has complicated things? You mentioned um, speaking to us that sometimes you feel like you're just considered Jack's partner. I found that basically as soon as my surname had changed. It was it was a bit different when we were engaged and not that a name gives you your identity but people would associate us together. I think because Jack's name is quite unique as well. So basically as soon as I changed to Darling I found that I would look after a person and they'd basically ask straight away, you Jack Darling's wife. And yeah, it was always a hard one to answer. I was just, yes, I am, but he's also my husband and I also am a lot of other things as well. And I often say I'm Max and Leo's mum and, you know, a daughter and a sister and I love being his wife and I'm very proud to be his wife, but I'm not just that. I can relate so much, <laughs> especially when it's in a work environment and you think, oh, Yes, that's my husband, but also right now the hat that I'm wearing, well, for you, is your physio. For me, is your OT. Yeah. Like, You're like, I'm a really good physio too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, I'm Courtney. I'm a really good physio. Jack would not be able to help you right now. <laughs> <laughs> would you prefer Jack took over this service? <laughs> <laughs> that's a really interesting perspective to get, I suppose. You both have really unique footballing names. So that is probably something that you you would have in common. You have an amazing surname. Like, <laughs> like can I marry you to get it? Because, <laughs> like, that's like that's my ideal surname. I think you can't really get much better than that. But you don't often think about what comes with it. I think you know that's not so much an experience I've had becoming one of the twenty five thousand Browns in the world. There's only a few darlings. And I think as well in Perth, like West Coast is really big over here. And so a lot of people really love their footy. And it'll be the same for you, Mads in Geelong. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's a culture and brings everybody together, which is amazing. But you are sort of pigeonholed a little bit. Can you tell us, Courtney, what's coming up next for you? Well, it's been really nice to go out to dinner. We're going on a date tomorrow. I'm really excited. It's our first one in eight months. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so we're just going to be doing a bit of that, celebrating our wedding anniversary next week. It's been congratulations. Thanks. I can't believe it. Hey, it's crazy. And I have my own business as well at the moment. That actually happened really quickly and unintentionally. I've just got to sort of decide how I'd like to grow that. Did I miss that? (laughs) Yeah, it was really, really funny. So I resigned from my job in private practice, maybe it was February or March. It wasn't due to COVID, but it was around the time that all the restrictions started coming into place. And then I just wasn't working for a little bit. And when people would contact me, I'd usually refer them into the clinic and that's when where I'd see them. And I'd be getting messages from people that I knew and word of mouth referrals and things. And I said to Jack, I'm like, why aren't I treating women who have just had their babies in their home? (laughs) Just like my midwife had done and I loved that. Mm. Um, So I actually messaged a few midwives that I know and said, this is my business idea. Do you think there's a demand for it? And they just said yes. And within a week I'd ordered all my equipment, got my ABN and had started working. (laughs) Wow. It was crazy. And Obviously, football has its challenges, but if we weren't in that position that I could make a decision that fast and you mm-hmm. know financially be able to afford the equipment and take that risk, then I wouldn't have had that opportunity either. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's amazing. So how's the business going? It's really good. Like I, the first two weeks I was working every single day. Jack was amazing. He was not in formal training then. 
So mm. I had him with the kids all day and I was off to work. Yeah, it's awesome. So I've been helping women, you know, if they've got perineal tears or blocked milk ducts, breastfeeding support, back pain, all those things that come with pregnancy. It's it's really fulfilling and just to be able to be in control with the amount of time that I can stay for two hours if somebody needs me there for two hours or you know, there's been a lot of times that I've gone in for uh, to visit just for, you know, pelvic floor assessment and then they're really having trouble breastfeeding and, you know, we end up going down that track and helping baby latch and things and that is so fulfilling because I know that changes her life and her family and her, you know, baby's health for eternity. I think I need to move to Perth. It sounds like you're exactly what I need right now. <laughs> Yeah, well, I can't get into Melbourne. (laughs) (laughs) That is so valuable having that care and support in your home. Like you're at such a vulnerable point in your life. Well done, Courtney, for finding that little niche and just being like, this is what I needed and actually I can fill that gap. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't think of it. Like it was just this uh aha moment and it happened so quick once I thought of it. And like how hard is it, you know, Marty, putting two kids in the car and if you've got a sore lady part because of you've been had like a birth three days ago, you don't want to get in the car. <laughs> yeah, so to be in your own home, like I just sometimes ladies just want to lay on their bed and chat for an hour and then I'll treat them and off I go. It's awesome. Wow. Sounds like heaven caught. <laughs> what a kick ass visio. <laughs> I know, I'm not just Jack's wife. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> I feel like I was really excited, like, you know, when I got your answers back, I was really excited. I thought, oh, yeah, birth is going to be, like, this is going to be really, there's going to be some really interesting stuff about birth in this, but I, I had no idea. Like, I haven't actually told people, I've never said publicly sort of what happened, so this is the first time I've um, discussed it and it's such a big part of our story and there is so much, like, I don't, my career, um, you know, our Leo's birth and everything, it's all so intertwined and it's, I think it's really important not to undermine how powerful a good experience is for a woman and, Mm. you know, when I had a bad experience and I I felt like a shell of myself, I didn't feel strong, I, I avoided social situations and then I had a great experience and it gave me so much strength. You know, when you have a hard day as a mum, you can draw back on that time and go, no, I'm strong. I can deal with whatever the world throws at me because I did that. And I think that that should really be celebrated and emphasised on how important it is to give people that because every woman deserves to feel like that. Wow. Yep. Wow. That's so incredible, Courtney. Thank you so much. As you said, yeah, yeah, it's just been lovely listening to you. And I I know that people are going to really enjoy hearing your story from start to finish. There's sort of a few twists and turns in the middle. (laughs) So thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Significant Others podcast. If you have any suggestions of guests you'd like us to interview, please let us know and come follow us on Instagram at the Significant Others podcast.